All right, well, thank you all. Um, and thank you to uh, DNB and Capital Link for a wonderful conference so far today. Um, it's a great way to kick off an important week here in Oslo, and so this has been a really good event. And so, Nicholas and team, thank you so much for all the effort you put into this. Um, as the uh, title says, we're going to be talking about the investor's perspective on the shipping industry. So let me just quickly um, go through some introductions here of the wonderful panel that we have up here. Um, first, panelist is Jürgen Lien. Jürgen is the head of the equity research shipping team at DNB Markets. They cover more than 30 publicly listed uh, shipping equities. Prior to his current position, he served as an equity analyst on the shipping team and he initiated the clean coverage, clean tech coverage team at DNB Markets. Um, the next panelist is uh, Nicholas Meir. Nick is the managing director and senior acquisitions officer for the Global Transportation Group at JP Morgan. He's been with JP Morgan for over 20 years, with the last 15 years leading investments in the transportation assets and companies. Uh, the current fleet that they uh, have is 140 vessels across all the major sectors with additional investments in aircraft, rail, and container leasing. Um, our next panelist is Andrew Hampson. Andrew is the Chief Executive Officer of Tufton, a leading uh, shipping industry-focused investment manager with assets of approximately $1.1 billion. Andrew uh, has been with Tufton since 2001, and prior to that time he held senior positions with investment banks and financial advisory firms providing debt-related advisory and arranging services for numerous shipping clients. Um, next panelist is uh, Arthur Regan. Art is the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Energos Infrastructure, a recently formed LNG marine infrastructure platform. Art has over 30 years of experience in the maritime industry, and he's been an operating partner with Apollo Global Management since 2015, uh, advertising on their maritime portfolio investments. He's also an independent director of Genco Shipping and Trading. Uh, and Harris Antonio is uh, founder and a managing director of Neptune Maritime Leasing. Harris has over 30 years of experience in the financial and shipping sectors where he has held a number of uh, executive and management positions. Um, he's an investor and advisor to fintech and cleantech companies such as Nanotech Financial Solutions SA, a core banking system supplier, and Advent Technologies, a NASDAQ-listed hydrogen fuel cell producer. So, quick overview of what we're going to try to cover here. Um, we're going to start with the panelists' views regarding the current outlook for investments in the shipping industry generally. Then I think like um, all the, or most of the other panels today, we're going to touch on and uh, analyze the, um, from the investor's perspective, the energy transition that's currently uh, impacting the shipping industry. Then we'll spend a little time looking at specific segments of the industry. And if we have time, we're going to discuss some M&A consolidation and artificial intelligence issues facing the industry also. So with that, why don't we uh, go ahead and kick this off. Let's start with a very broad question uh, to set the stage. So given the current global economic situation, potential for recession in the United States and in Europe, China may not be growing as fast as everybody had hoped it would. Um, there are geopolitical disruptions around the world. You have the Ukraine war, you have the situation in Taiwan. And on top of all that, we have increased um, regulatory, uh, onerous regulatory requirements around the globe affecting the shipping industry. So from an investor's perspective, what's the current outlook for investing in shipping companies generally? So Jürgen, would you like to uh, kick us off there? Thank you so much for the introduction, Tony. And um, I think uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a roller coaster covering uh, the equity side of shipping since, uh, since the pandemic. Uh, there's been record highs and record lows. 
Um, but I think the, the main takeaway from that has been that over that time, uh, you've seen uh, huge returns uh, generally across the shipping space, which I think has awoken a lot of interest among investors. Uh, so that's really the backdrop here. Uh, I did some math, and it depends depending on the uh, the sector. Uh, everything from you know 100% total return to upwards towards 400% uh, returns on some sectors uh, versus the S&P during the same time being around 40% up. Uh, so there's been huge opportunity. Um, and you mentioned the three, the three main points. So you have this uh, muted macro backdrop at the moment, which I feel is pressuring things down. Uh, that's essentially where we are at the outset, given where we are today. Um, and then you have the geopolitical tensions, which are very important. Uh, I'd split them into two. You have uh, an immense pressure on energy security, which is a new major theme uh, that I think is going to last and, and be with us for a long time going forward, which could be positive. You've seen the effects on that uh, in the trade patterns that have uh, arisen after the invasion of Ukraine uh, for the tanker side and, and a lot of energy shipping in general. Um, and then you have on the other side, I think the diversification and supply chain part of it is becoming more and more important. We can argue if that's a positive or not. Um, and then on top of everything, you have the regulatory risk. And I think the, that's probably the most interesting side of things because it uh, depends on you know, where we're headed uh, on technology or, or, or where we end up. I think the, the end game here is that it heightens the uncertainty in shipping. Uh, and that has implications for the expectations on returns going forward and how that market will balance long term. It's hindered a lot of ordering, which puts the supply side fundamentals very good in some sectors. Um, so I guess the, you know, looking ahead from here, I think that the picture is, is pretty mixed. Uh, as I said on the supply side uh, of things, tankers, bulkers looks very good. Uh, maybe not so much on the gas uh, shipping side or the container side. Um, but uh, in the end, I think in a general an overview of things, it's, it's all about timing. And then given that we're in this sort of depressed situation on the macro side, I think, uh, I think the investment uh, timing is rather opportune in our view. Great. Art, do you want to uh, give your uh, insight on this? Sure, Tony. Thanks, Thanks so much. I'm going to be more positive than that, and as a general statement about the investment climate for shipping, I think it's, I think it's pretty good when we think about the, the near term, keeping in mind that a lot of those disruptive negatives that we're mentioning, war, geopolitical, those are generally stimulators for, for shipping activity. Dislocations of supply demand generally create ton miles, and it's, it's good for, for shipping business, and I think we've seen that in tankers and to a degree dry bulk for a period of time, certainly containers during COVID was, was a boom time. So overall, I'm going I'm to keep it generally positive. With that in mind, I mean, the, the basic parameters of an investment when you're looking for what is the value proposition and trying to simplify it into, uh, for the shipping industry, growth or income, the way I think about it. So generally, Growth is thought of as asset value appreciation, so you try and buy during the trough, particularly with one of the historic volatile periods where you're in a trough, you think about buying there so you have asset appreciation and will forego income a little bit. And other times you have a strong income market where asset values are pretty high. And I would say generally right now, that's the kind of zip code we're in. Generally speaking, asset values have caught up with any historical norm, and inflation, et cetera, have kind of pushed the limits on that globally. So 
generally, I wouldn't expect we're going to see huge gains in asset values in the near term. But certainly the income stream, which we've seen across almost every commodity in the last couple of years, feels pretty good. It feels pretty good. So that's where my optimism lies, um, thinking about the near to, to medium term. One of the other kind of Achilles heel of shipping is, is too much leverage, too much debt. And what we've seen as a byproduct of the great markets in many of the commodity shipping sectors is an overall delevering of the industry, which has been very, very healthy. So my perspective is that the industry is much more healthier now than it was, say, five years ago. And that's because it's, it's saddling much less debt. And therein is the power to sustain some of these troughs that we've seen in the past. And already that's playing out. I mean, the dry bulk market has pulled back a little bit. But there's really no worries across the, the capital markets, the public landscape of shipping companies. And that's pretty true, I think, across the board of the delevering. The, the one kind of difficult part around that is the fact that interest rates are also heading towards potentially you know, decade-long highs. And that's a, a problem as well. So we have to watch that. But I'm going to say, generally speaking, uh, favoring the income outlook for shipping. And that's why I'm positive. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so let's you know, dig down on you, um, Art, and you're going to start to touch on these points, but let's dig in a little deeper and just see what are the key factors investors are focused on when making decisions to allocate funds in or out of the shipping industry? Um, or is it a hedge against recession? Is it, if you think there's going to be a significant shutdown, is this a place where you want to put, their, put your money or avoid investing? Or is it just sort of a sector by or company by company analysis that, that you, you, know, you look at? So um, I don't know, um, Nicholas, if you want to just kick this section off. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, we, we always have this adage that no investor that's institutional wakes up in the morning saying, where's my shipping allocation? It, it just doesn't exist. It's an asset class that just hasn't found its niche just yet, like aircraft and some other ones. But what, to your point, Jurgen, before is COVID has brought to light the importance of shipping and what it can do as an industry. And, and what it can do for your portfolio with 400% type of kind of returns. So we are seeing more investors today ask what shipping looks like in a portfolio and what it can do for them. So whether it brings income or capital appreciation, as just mentioned, uh, and then what are the secular drivers behind shipping and how does that marry up with their broader portfolios of that? Um, and so more and more today, investors are looking at shipping as a broader transportation basket, whether through infrastructure type funds or more private type capital sources such as ourselves, or the public markets, which have always been available before if you've got a very intrinsic view on a certain market and you want to be able to get in and have some sort of liquidity getting out as well. So um, I, I think there's a, it's a good sign of things where things are today, but the other headwind against that is you know, we've seen the strongest fixed income market we've seen in a very long while. So uh, our returns need to reflect that. So many investors institutional today are seeing this time as to restock their fixed income portfolios with higher yielding assets. Uh, and that's come at the expense of more traditional real assets. So uh, I do see a little bit of a headwind for this space from there. But you know, I think at the, for the right market fundamentals, uh, investors are finding shipping interesting today. Great, thanks. So Harris, you want to um, give us uh, your insights, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish up this section with, uh, with Andrew. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thank you, Tony. Well, first of all, it's great to be in Oslo. And for me, it's a special occasion because it marks my 30th anniversary because I came to Oslo here for the first time in snow shipping 93, together with a colleague of mine from somebody somewhere there in the, in the audience, Jap Kalvekamp. It was my first business trip ever, so I have fond memories of uh, Oslo. 
Um, and uh, so it's great to be back. Um, and thank you, Nicholas. Now, when it comes to your question, um, we heard uh, previous panelists uh, really discussing um, decarbonization, you know, what we need to do as a shipping industry. And, and I think that should be in the mind of every, every investor, because at the end of the day, if you look at the global trade, which is about 28 to 30 trillion dollars, and a very large percentage of it moves around by ships, uh, if you want as an investor to have an impact in society and economy, you need to be investing in shipping. So, and that's what drives us, basically. That's what drives us at Neptune Leasing and our investors. And I think it should drive every investor uh, around the world because shipping is the industry that makes the world move around. And, and of course, it has you know, a risk associated with it. It's notoriously cyclical, but there are many more uh, cyclical industries. But it's also uh, prone to uh, risks such as supply resilience, as we saw earlier with the COVID crisis, with the Suez Canal crisis. It's only then that investors realize how important shipping is to the industry. For example, you know, look at uh, container ships, a very large container ship that we have today, 24,000 EU. I mean, that's a bet on centralized manufacturing. And, you know, that was driven by China in, in the years, uh, you know, past. But an investor will need to ask themselves, you know, what are we going to invest in? So they need to look at fundamentals and they need to look at macro as well as, uh, you know, more micro um, uh, factors uh, before taking an investment decision. Uh, I think the, the, the world of shipping is changing massively. I think the decarbonization, the energy um, um, efficiency drive which we are experiencing is going to have uh, very serious implications. So that together with regulatory intervention as well as geopolitical uh, you know, upheaval that we have uh, been experiencing in the past few years uh, are making it a volatile industry. But uh, that's why they need to have a very long-term approach when they invest into shipping. Thanks. Um, thanks, Horace. Agree with you totally, as, as ever. Um, I think the main thing that we miss in the shipping industry is that the investor has a choice. Um, we all have investors that we know who know and understand shipping. And I think once, once understood, it is relatively easy to attract those investors. But the, we need more investment, and therefore we've got to make shipping um, more attractive to those investors, and we've got to really take a step back. It's not should we be looking at containers or dry bulk or geared ships or ungeared ships, whatever it might be. It's how do we differentiate shipping from a nursing home in Surrey, from a shopping mall in Romania, um, you know, the money's out there. We as an industry have um, got to try and attract more of that money. Uh, um, our view at Tufton is that that's an educational process and we spend a lot of time with institutional investors explaining shipping, explaining many of the things which Art has just said, that a lot of the things which appear on the face of it negative are in fact in some ways positive, positive drivers for shipping. Um, explaining the supply side of the industry, which most people don't get. They look at the, they look at the demand side. They immediately associate um, recessionary pressures, falling GDP as being incredibly negative across the, whole of, across the whole of shipping. They don't understand the ton mile implications of uh, dislocations 
of supply, uh, production, consumption, etc. So I think there is still a lot of educating to do, and I equally think there are a lot of things that shipping companies and shipping investment firms can actually do to clean up their act to make shipping uh, more attractive um, to the institutional international investor. Thank, thank you very much. So, if you're an investor and you've decided, okay, I've taken all these macro considerations into, um, I've considered all these macro factors, and I'd like to make an investment in the shipping industry. Are there one or two critical elements or metrics that you look at, whether it's for a company or an asset, when you decide that you're going to allocate uh, resources or capital to this market that either are go or no-go like um, considerations for you? So maybe, Art, if you want to kick this one off. Yes, sure, Tony. Thanks. So the, uh, when it comes to investment, I think it's important to determine whether we're talking about a public market investment or a private equity investment because there are different drivers there. Certainly, the capital markets need scale, so you want to have a lot of liquidity in the share trading and a large-scale market cap, which the shipping industry has never really been able to broach through. And that's been a problem, frankly. So raising capital from the public markets is harder than ever right now because the, just the track record has not been great. To get to scale, provide liquidity, and provide income, to go back to my opening remarks, the volatility is not very well suited to, to the public markets. Uh, the, on the private side, uh, it's a little bit easier. So I, I do think we're seeing the privatization of a lot of the public market enterprises from the last 20 years. Certainly in the LNG infrastructure, we have seen that. And they're able to take a longer-term view. And when I say you know, private equity, I want to also highlight that not all private equity is the same. We think of private equity as high risk, high return, very demanding. But really, external equity can, can, can have disciplines all the way through down to long-term capital that's more insurance-based and more pension fund management-based. So that is longer-term capital that has a bit more staying power and can stay in 10 or 20 years, whereas the private equity that was investing through the 2000s was very short-term, short five-year cycle-oriented, which is not good for shipping. So I, I like the fact that the, the industry overall has delevered is more income focused. The charter rates we're seeing even in the, in the trough are manageable and can make shipping companies profitable. And if we see any increase in rates that's just improving income and dividends, which is a word that uh, I think shipping should be associated with because it is so necessary and uh, we've never been able to get there with any, with any longevity. But I feel like now is the good time because there's not a lot of supply coming in. But it is right now a, a private investment, more so than capital markets. I think it's going to take some time for the capital markets to kind of rebound, and that means scale and performance. Right. Harris? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with uh, Art, and I, but I also uh, wanted to say that it depends to a certain extent uh, on the risk appetite of the individual investor. Um, and that is something one needs to think very carefully before deciding to invest. Uh, to invest in uh, in shipping, because as we said earlier, it has to be a long term uh, it has to be a long term investment. Mm -hmm. um, 
So in reality, you can look at any measure, you know, profit uh, growth or income uh, growth, et cetera, et cetera, but that's not necessarily going to, to cut it when it comes to shipping because of the uh, cyclicality in its, uh, in its nature. And I think one of the elements which is uh, interesting, uh, and I looked at some statistics, you know, the other day, if you look at um, the um, market capitalization of what we call large shipping companies, uh, you know, you look at, on one hand, the Maersk or Hapagloid or the large container ship uh, liner companies of the world, and we're talking about billions of dollars for market cap, 30 billion, 40 billion, depending on the uh, timing. On the other hand, if you look at the uh, suppliers of tonnage to these operators, uh, despite the size, I mean, it could be uh, companies controlling 100, 150 ships, the market cap is at, you know, uh, one billion, one and a half maximum. So that probably should tell something uh, to us, and that is actually what does an investor value? And here we're in the capital of sort of industrial shipping, we used to call it in the, in the old days uh, of the world, and, and, and there's something to be said about this. So, so it's not just the vessel that you have, you need to run a system, whether it's a transportation system or a logistic system, or a system that solves the need of, of your clients, that's, that's when the value is going to be created. And I think shipping commerce going forward need to be looking at that as well if they are to attract the interest of the public markets. And I think the environmental urgency uh, provides an opportunity for them to do that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, um, I, I come at this from the equity side, uh, and naturally I think liquidity in the shares is important. Uh, so getting your opportunity to get in and out, that's been the way to play shipping historically. But that being said, I think there's, um, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, among the companies today. Leverage was mentioned. I think the new day of shipping is a low-levered company set up to survive a cycle. Uh, that was not necessarily the case before. So I think, uh, I think there are, you know, two, two, to manage these liquidity issues that have been mentioned now, I think there are essentially two things to do. One is setting up the company in a, um, in a manner that can navigate that cycle. If that is by you know, building in some, um, some downside protection in the business model through having superior types of vessels over time, modern vessels maybe, uh, that can be one way to go. The other is to look at the leverage on the balance sheet. Uh, if that's cheap uh, and manageable, uh, then that makes a good case. And I think secondly, as a part to getting your money back over time, uh, you probably need to see, uh, I think the governance and, and capital allocation side of equity investing is becoming very important. Uh, investors want to see that their cash is not necessarily unduly reinvested, but rather returned to investors when the market is there. Uh, and that really you know, says it all, that it would be market permitting and perhaps the, the valuations would also start to reflect that over time. Mm -hmm. Those are two important things that I uh, at least look at. I think a lot's been said already, but I just say most investors today don't prize what historically has been prized in shipping, which is the great upside in returns. I think downside, I think they're, they're willing to take an asymmetrical trade by protecting downside by taking more charter coverage, which goes against some things in, typically in, in shipping. But I think that's how one gets investors intrigued by the asset class. Low leverage, if you looked at it historically, typically doesn't lead you to... Uh, negative returns or significant negative returns. And so combining that with some longer-term chartering strategies has led more investors towards shipping today by pro providing those, again, those demand drivers that they like without taking the risk on that their, they, their portfolios can't handle. Please. Andrew? Um, I think trying to answer from the perspective of investors who come to Tufton for us to, for us to manage for them, 
Um, I agree totally in the low leverage model. We've always been a relatively low, um, low leverage um, strategy. Um, I think the ability to change and to adapt, um, we run very diversified portfolios at ships. We move out of one sector into another. That's maybe slightly contrary to the longer term, um, you know, to the view that all investments had to be longer term. I think there are very good opportunistic um, um, investments if you're able to move around. And I think the main comment that we get from investors is uh, full transparency um, when it comes to governance issues, when it comes to fees um, and uh, things of that nature. That's one of the main issues yeah. we get back from our, from our investor base. Great. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Um, one of the key or most important developments affecting the industry today is the global energy transition, which has been you know, addressed to a certain extent here today. Um, and there's a lot of different opinions even expressed uh, today. It's hard to see that there's any real consensus on what it even means, how it's going to be achieved, or who's going to lead the way in um, you know, implementing this transition in the shipping industry. We have, uh, there are currently billions of dollars of capital sitting in infrastructure funds that, with asset managers looking for green investment opportunities. Um, there's a lot of investment managers who are shying away from or abandoning altogether non-green industries like the coal industry, the oil and gas industry. So when you're um, an asset manager or you're an investor looking at the industry, how does this impact your investment? What, uh, what are you guys looking at um, when you're making your decisions on how to invest in the industry that's changing so much. So, Andrew, why don't you uh, kick us off here? Okay. Um, thanks. I, I, clearly, this period, let's call it the energy transition, the next five, ten years until we really sort out, sort out what we're doing, I think provides phenomenal opportunity um, both in new investments and in traditional so we call it traditionally powered second-hand second -hand investments. Clearly, we've heard a lot of talk today and I was very encouraged by what Rasmus was saying earlier about the um, moves in hydrogen. I, I think that's very encouraging. Nonetheless, there were also a lot of words that if you were an investor, you'd be sitting upright, people talking about safety issues, people talking about stranded assets, people talking about lack of crew, and all of these issues. These are all issues that make it very, very difficult at the moment to um, get a lot of that infrastructure type funds that you mentioned there to actually get that into, um, uh, to actually get that into the industry. But there is that base there. If we can show some proven technologies, if we can start to link that with longer term charters, I think there is an investor base there that can come and fill a lot of that gap. That's a very different type of investor to the guy who's going to invest into second-hand shipping um, in a traditional way. And I think that because of the supply issues of the uncertainty of the energy transition over the next five to 10 years, uh, I think that gives phenomenal opportunity for both asset value appreciation and um, income dividend flow uh, in traditional second-hand um, areas of shipping. If it's done properly, um, and, and, and that, I think, as the panel have already said, you know, is a low leverage model which is transparent um, and which um, works in an efficient way. 
um, clearly concentrating on um, the governance issues, regulatory and safety, as we always do. Uh, we'll just uh, roll down the panel then. Art, you want to give us your views on this? Sure, sure. So I, I like the word infrastructure when it comes to the marine environment. It's not something that's been common up until more recently, but I think it's latched on extremely well. And what we've done with Apollo funding uh, at Energos Infrastructure is, is exactly that. So when, when one hears, or when I used to hear infrastructure, I thought of long-dated pipelines and things like that, the tolling arrangements around bridges and things, um, which you could never really get in shipping. But we've been able to connect on a number of infrastructure strategies, which are, is environmental impact. So our investment is in, is in LNG, which does have a, a, the ability to contract for long term. And also, it's very much part of the energy transition, as we've been, as we've been speaking about already earlier during the conference. And it seems unavoidable that that's going to continue, at least for a period of time, as we sequence into more alternative, long-dated, uh, or long-term zero-carbon fuels. Um, so we've been, we've been lucky, I would say, that the uh, situation around our investment, which started pre-Ukrainian um, invasion, uh, was based on energy transition, but then uh, what came after that was energy security, which has been an entirely new kind of checkpoint in infrastructure investing, and the reception has been quite good. So matching the ability to make an impact with funding as well as as well as a long-term return has been something that we've been fortunate at Energos to, to take advantage of and uh, so yeah more, more infrastructure I think is coming great um, Harris it's a big number it's a trillion to a trillion and a half dollars people throw around these big numbers so um, needed to pursue this uh, transition so you know they're, they're going to be locking down a lot of doors of investors to raise the capital what are you looking at in this uh, sector? Well, absolutely, it's a large number, um, and there's a certainty around it because, as we just discussed, you know, there's no clarity around regulations, no clarity around um, propulsion technologies, not even uh, fuel uh, choice. So it makes it really difficult, and that's where the kind of the symbiotic relationship between the private, the public um, uh, sector, and the official sector comes in. So, and, and I think we all need to. Uh, make sure that there is a, a cooperative attitude so that we push the agenda of the energy transition forward. The technology is there. I mean, uh, you mentioned earlier, I, I happen to you know, believe uh, very much so in hydrogen. I sort of invested in Advent Technologies, which is a fuel cell uh, company, and spent a lot of time understanding the, the supply chain and how it could impact the shipping industry. Uh, and because of that, I happen to be a great believer in methanol, also because uh, it requires the least amount of investment in infrastructure. Um, so I, I definitely see a future there, and I'm pleased to see that there's many, many, many more ships that are being built with you know, dual fuel engines already, uh, or at least are ready to switch over to you know, whatever new fuel is available. At the same time, uh, we need to make sure that the, the world fleet that we currently have uh, is able to run properly is able to get funded properly and is able to you know, service its clients the way it has been doing all these years. And I think uh, Andrew was right in, in saying that we can't just leave the, the existing assets by the wayside. Um, so there needs to be funding for them. 
And that's why we at Neptune Leasing, we don't shy away from funding you know, existing technology, as obviously we welcome uh, new technology. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a crucial point because we know that a lot of the traditional uh, lenders to the shipping industry have withdrawn yeah. from it. And so we have a, a, we have a paradox uh, in which on one hand, you know, we're saying, okay, let's make sure we move forward uh, with shipping. But on the other hand, we're not funding the, the uh, existing fleet. Yeah. And that creates opportunities, obviously. Right. And one interesting statistic also that I, if I have one more minute, yeah. if you look at the uh, different types of measures that you can take as an owner to reduce the environmental f footprint, you know, different types of uh, measures, you know, that are, you know, involve uh, digitalization or weather routing or, or other uh, measures, you'll see that actually the most efficient ones are the ones that uh, relate to power limitations when it comes to the engine. I mean, by, by you know, a factor of five or six times uh, the second closest uh, measure. So we need to look at what we can do for the existing fleet as well in terms of retrofits and everything else. Yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, was it Harris that, that mentioned that to start off with? I think if you want to want to make an impact and improve something, then definitely invest in shipping. And I think that's part of the problem here has been that shipping has had a bad reputation over time. Um, despite it being you know immense, there's huge competition and it's incredibly efficient as is. Uh, the technology, it might be on its way uh, and there's a pathway towards something, but today there, there simply isn't uh, a solution to get it done. Uh, so I think the, from the previous panel as well, I think the takeaway here is to be realistic um, and see the benefits of, of shipping uh, as well as the, the negatives. Uh, I feel when we talk about ESG and shipping, the, the S is very often forgotten. Uh, as shipping has contributed, you know, so much to to um, to just uh, improved quality of life uh, in general, right? Uh, and we need to to figure out a solution that is realistic along the way and doesn't really set the hard stop to anything, because uh, that could be a place we don't want to get to. Just to add on, uh, I think there's a lot of positives going right now as well. I think if you look at things, it's been very difficult to price what the future technology means, but with carbon pricing coming into effect, that changes all of that. So your end user now has always looked at what's my freight cost, what's my bunker cost, what's my carbon cost. And I think that's going to change things dramatically now as people look at that forward. You're going to start getting paid for your assets being of a higher quality because the carbon comes into effect from there. It allows people to start making some decisions, although they're difficult ones, it allows you to do that. And then the, the second piece I would add to this as well is that we're, we're optimistic as well. We're starting to do more and more investments in the technology itself. So we've got the transitional assets, but how do you get them to the next level? By making investments in companies, whether it be fuel cells, batteries, uh, methane abatement, things like that. And we're starting to see more like-minded ship owners in those areas, uh, which is really promising to see, because it's gonna take a lot of capital to get us there. But it really starts with being able to price what that carbon means, and you can build off of that. Andrew? Sorry, I just wanted to add one thing which I forgot earlier on, which I think is quite important, and I'm talking here about trying to get new investors into shipping, not the guys who understand it and, and, and follow it. Five years ago, I can't recall any investor asking us what our ships carried. Uh, today, I would say maybe 30% of them ask, what are you carrying in your ships? And if it's coal, if it's crude oil, um, a number of other commodities, they turn off straight away. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that that means that carriage of coal has to stop or anything, but just the point I'm making 
is it means that this massive pot, which is potentially available, is shrinking the whole time as we actually go through this energy transition. And we have a, we've lost a number of investors now because we have ships that carry coal. I'll just make it as a point. I'm not saying there's a, there's a solution to it. But that's happening out there in the guys who don't understand shipping. All right. Thank you. Um, it's a really good point. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who stays in and who um, abandons the, um, the industry and who is very selective and only investing in certain parts of the industry that sort of meet their, their goals. Um, we only have a few minutes left, so I thought maybe we'd um, quickly go around and um, address the artificial intelligence um, point that we've really talked about. I haven't got to grips with human intelligence. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, just, I may not be the right one to ask. Uh, joking apart, um, I'm not into artificial intelligence yet, but I mean, I think seriously, the technology side yeah. of the industry is very important. I said earlier on, one of the key things was adaptability to change, yeah. to be able to see what's going on. I mean, you need to be up with it. I'm a full believer in big data, yeah. in sharing information, and that can only be done through IT, and I'm sure that that can help us phenomenally improve the efficiency of the operation of the world fleet. Yeah. Whether or not artificial intelligence comes into it or not, I'm unsure. Yeah, yet. so I'm just curious, we just rolled on the panel, at, uh, our, you know, how is it going to impact your decisions on what you do, you know, to build your company out or make other investments and you know, the focus that different companies have on this? I'm a little bit like Andrew in that I never thought about artificial intelligence until recently. The shipping industry in general has, not, has, has been very, very slow to adopt anything that's been futuristic in general. Uh, but I think that's all changed dramatically in the last, certainly within, within 10 years. And the difference is using that word that Andrew used, inefficiency. In and I see that being a, being a ship owner of various types of assets, how it's improving the economic return and the visibility of what your asset is doing every day. Comparing other industries, which I, I like to do because it's transportation, so aircraft, et cetera, is, is a good representation. The intelligence, the artificial intelligence used in flying an aircraft is just automatic and it's the way it's understood. Shipping is still way behind that, but it's, it's coming very fast, and it's because some of the technology that's being implemented now is making a real difference in efficiency, so you can't ignore that, and I think it's going to continue to move quite well, and I'm interested in it for the first time in my life, so I think it's, a, it's been a good time, and it's going to keep coming. Well, um, I don't know how much uh, intelligence there is in the systems, but uh, it's definitely artificial. Because, because really, if you look down at the efficiency that they are able to generate, uh, you know, it's, it's there, but it's not something you're getting out of bed for. But on the other hand, we, we tend to, you know, underestimate the impact of change over a long period of time, over 10 years, for example, and, and overestimate it over a short period of time. Uh, so I think definitely going forward, we're going to see uh, improvements in efficiency, not just in the operations of the, of the assets, the vessels themselves, because of weather routing or, or uh, better utilization factors, but also because of other um, uh, products or programs we use to make trade more efficient. For example, you know, because I've been involved in the commodity trade finance business as well, look at how much progress has been made on 
you know, electronic documents and, and, and bills of lading, etc. So, and, and these are all, uh, I suppose the convergence of the technologies is what makes the difference. It's not just one individual technology that's going to make it uh, happen. Jürgen? Uh, I, I think uh, uh, a lot has been said. Shipping, uh, luckily, is steel value in the vessels, uh, something to look at, something tangible. But I, I agree with the, the efficiency aspect of things. I think there's certainly a lot of, um, uh, a lot of costs that could be shaved off uh, and make things even more efficient. Uh, that's my take. I don't know if you have anything because. to add. I certainly agree on the efficiency side, but I see what it's done in our firm in general and what we've been able to do with it, and it's bring costs down significantly across the board. You know, AI just designed its first ship in a research group in China, and if you talk to the classification societies, it did a pretty darn good job. So you know, we need every help, bit of help we can get to get to where we need to be, and AI is going to be a big component of that, I think. Thank you. Well, thank you to the panel. Um, thank you very much for your time. It was a great panel.